0: Welcome to the Disability Podcast, a podcast where we talk to people living with disabilities. We hear about their life, learn tips, tricks and share ideas to help each other and our listeners with new ideas to solve real world obstacles. So let's not waste any time and jump right into it. So hi Hugo, welcome to the podcast. We're recording on a Saturday afternoon. How's your weekend been?
1: Yes, it's been a very good, thank you. I've had a relaxing day so far. I had a few things to do earlier this afternoon.
0: Just a normal weekend. Exactly. Awesome. So today we're talking about everything, you know, the podcast is all about disabilities. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone about why you're here?
1: Okay, so my name is Hugo. I'm 43 and I live in London. I've been in London all my life and i've also had cerebral palsy since i was born type called hemiplegia so it predominantly affects my my right side motor skills
0: yes yeah, so hemiplegia cerebral palsy because yeah i also have cerebral palsy but i have it on the left side okay know how things are especially how it been mild if someone looked at you, they wouldn't know that you had a disability. Would you consider yourself? We don't have invisible disability. You know, when they people say people say people have invisible disabilities, I don't count cerebral palsy. Well, I don't count hemiplegia as an invisible disability, but it's not necessarily visible.
1: I would disagree. It really depends on the degree by which you are affected.
0: Okay, so it's down to severity. Yes. Like people say that they don't notice that I have a disability. But if I think to myself, I mean, I always think I'm quite obvious. I don't know if that's just me being aware of myself. So I struggle that line of visible and invisible. Would you consider yourself to have a visible disability then?
1: I would say yes, purely because I I use a walking stick.
0: Let's start at the beginning. Okay. When you were younger, did you sort of know that you had a disability or when when was the time that you self-realised that you had a disability and how did that sort of affect your confidence and sort of your life lifestyle at that point?
1: I would say primarily I considered myself to have a disability when I was about 20 because before I had spent quite a sheltered upbringing I had been at home until I was about 10 attending a day school but I have a very vivid uh, recollection of that. And then at the age of nine or 10, I went away to boarding school um, in Hampshire and there was quite a variety of different conditions. So I suppose for me, at that point, I didn't really label myself as having a so-called disability because I was living within that environment for a prolonged period of time. I did leave, uh, but I didn't have a huge amount of interaction with anybody else other than with my family. However, upon leaving, that's where I probably realised that I did have a disability. When I started to spend more time around others and I realised that there were things which I couldn't do, which others could.
0: I went to standard school, looking back on that, I'd say that I suppose the first half you're not really aware of, you know, people's disabilities, whatever they may be. So I'd say, would you agree that up to 10, 11, I mean, one, you don't really care at that point, no. as long as you're getting treated the same, that's, uh, that's all you really care about. I think it's the teen, well, for me, it's the teenage years, put it in the spotlight. Yes. I mean, it. It's like a gradual change
1: i would yes i would agree it is a gradual change that said what really emphasized the difference is the way society views it see we're all in society pigeonholed to a greater or lesser degree that's the way society works and that's when i really realized after leaving school and before going to university that's when i realized the kind of disadvantage I had, so to speak, because I went to a mainstream higher educational college in London before going to university, where I undertook the equivalent of a And it was at that point where they started to make slight adjustments to the way it was assessed. For example, in examinations, they started to give me extra time. So they gave me extra time for a particular reason, so that I started to ask myself why. And these, these things started to happen more and more. So it, it, was a, it was a gradual change, but what I would say is up to the time I left school slash college, I didn't really realize because I was in this community where everybody had some form of
0: condition. For me, it was back when I was a teenager, I didn't notice it. Now looking back on it, I see there was a gradual change i mean yes it really did start when sort of your you do your exams your GCSEs, your a levels because yeah that's when they bring in the extra time and that's i mean that's when you know (laughs) not to like separate people into you know you have a condition you don't have a condition but when you look in the extra time room and you look in the room where there's no extra time or where however they do it because every school does it differently but you know you have your extra time people and you have the people who don't have extra time and I think that's when it sort of dawns on you okay I'm not the same as other people but on the other hand do you think the little bit of like help such as extra time puts you on the the same level or do you think it puts you above
1: it's that's a very interesting question you ask because you could have a whole debate on that. I know.
0: I mean, it's yes. It's it's a heavy question. Yes,
1: there are advantages and disadvantages. It, it, it depends from from what side of the. But, I mean,
0: I only bring it up because I think it honestly depends on a subject per subject basis. It's like I've always been good at maths, so I never really needed my extra time when I did maths. That said, doing more essay based subjects, I was really. You know, I couldn't do those, so I did need it then. Yes, but is that just because I'm good at one subject and not good at another subject, or is that to do with my hemiplegia? We will never know. Obviously, you cannot say.
1: Taking extra time as a as an example here, it can be an advantage and it can also be a disadvantage because it depends on on the individual's mentality. If they take it as a gift, that you know, because they've got a certain set of cards, they will all be, always be given allowances. It can lead to people potentially developing um, lazy tendencies.
0: Yeah, I agree. If you don't use it in the right way, because yes. then you expect it the rest of your life. For example, I mean, in jobs, there's no such thing as extra time. I mean, if you take advantage of the extra time during the exams and you come to expect it, you're gonna have a big wake-up call in the real world. Well, in the adult world,
1: it's interesting because I've recently started some work experience. or I would say probably some it was more volunteering with an organisation, and this organisation is a really good. Organiser, I, I I love the team of people I'm with. It's a it's a charity called Scope, which was originally called the Spastic Society. So it was for people who primarily had Cerebral Palsy, and obviously, there's been a lot of controversy over the word spastic. It's been obviously now seen as a derogatory word, but the charity changed um, in part because of the fact that they weren't just catering for people with Cerebral Palsy, they cater for the whole spectrum of disabilities. And also there is the uh, political correctness aspect to it as well. But I'm I'm going off point here. Really, what I was trying to say was that when I approached this organization because I had a disability, I was asked whether I wanted some reasonable adjustments made. So if I if I I question, I asked this question: If I wasn't disabled, would I be entitled to having reasonable adjustments? Would it be a given? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean because what are reasonable adjustments because you hear these stories that people ask for you know better chairs at work better desks at work standing desks for example or you know different types of desks and chairs i mean those are the most common ones you hear so i work as a freelancer so basically i work from home i mean it's an interesting question would be what's the difference between a charity who regularly deals with people with disabilities like Scope, because they do, I mean, they're one of the biggest charities in the UK to deal with uh, disabilities. So they know everything about disabilities or should do. What's the difference between find their reasonable adjustments and a normal office to reasonable adjustments?
1: I don't know is, is the short answer because my sole point of reference is Scope. When I've worked for other organizations, other organizations have tried to make some adjustments, but certainly not to the same extent.
0: Do you think there should be a minimum baseline of these are the adjustments that not should be made, but have to be made? And then on top of that, there can be had had a discussion.
1: Yes. I I mean, I believe that there should be a policy and I don't know if that policy does exist, but a policy in place in every single organization that if somebody needs reasonable adjustments, not just as a result of them having a disability, they should be entitled to it. Now, I, I don't know the law. I don't know if, if it's something which is already in place now, or if it's something which is put, being put in place for people with disabilities.
0: I do agree that there needs to be a base, a, a baseline for disabilities when you're working with a disability but the only problem i mean from a logistical point of view if i was to own a business and i saw this people you know everyone with a disability is slightly different and every disability is slightly different so the same baselines for someone with cerebral palsy is not going to be the same as a baseline for autism for example
1: So it has to be bespoke the individual
0: do you think a charity should do the research to see exactly what the baseline should be from my perspective, I think that would be a sort of good yes research to find I, out because the charities have the capability and they have the knowledge they do
1: they do i I certainly think charities are are more active in that space um, than corporations, but that's just my uh, my opinion. I may be wrong I may be wrong in that, but i've I've noticed that. Charities are more proactive in making reasonable adjustments.
0: It makes sense. It's a bit sad because the charities have the small numbers of jobs and people want to learn, you know, they want to pursue their dreams, don't they? They don't always just want to work for a charity. Some do. This comes back to if everyone, if there was a baseline, then everyone will know, okay, if I go to this company, no matter what, they're going to provide me this. And I think it will also reduce a lot of the stress involved with applying for jobs at companies.
1: And also the stigma.
0: And also the stigma. Yeah, I mean, I haven't come across much of the stigma on my daily life, but I I read the stories going a bit off topic, but keeping on the topic of jobs. All the big companies now, and even medium companies, they use AIs now to see, you know, scan the CV. Does it match the criteria? Yes or no. And I, I mean, I can never prove this of course, and I'm never going to be able to prove this, but they always have a disability box. Do you have a disability? I always tick yes, because I am not going to, it is who I am, but I've never applied for a job and said, okay, do the same application. One tick the box and one not tick the box. But I mean, I'm just thinking because it's all computers these days. Does that box make a difference? Oh, I don't know.
1: I would I would say I would say it does because at least you're given an interview. I think organizations are obliged to give somebody who has a disability an interview.
0: Some jobs I've applied for have haven't reached the interview stage. But I mean that's just because I don't you never know why, because half the time they don't tell you why. Yeah. This is all I mean we can get back on, you know, talking about disabilities. So this is all hearsay now, and we won't be able to really find an answer very well. But it's an interesting discussion how jobs and how companies approach hiring disabled people and how the best way to change it. So it's fair on everyone.
1: I would say first and foremost, it starts with education. People, these topics need to be spoken about. It's in the past, people who were disabled, they were put in institutions.
0: They were never given the opportunity. No. To, to prove their worth they were they, you know they were straight away you know sidelined and not considered at all luckily that's changed but i still think i agree with you
1: i would say it's still changing changing because the thing is we will make subconscious judgments when we meet people whether we realize it or not
0: this is why i asked you at the beginning do you consider yourself to have a visible disability or an invisible disability Well because for me people approach me and say and don't recognise my disability and then when I eventually tell them they always act surprised and then they change sometimes not all the time but sometimes they change how they act towards you because that's I don't know why.
1: In a negative way or positive way? Sometimes
0: in a more positive way sometimes in a more negative way it honestly depends on the person it depends on their education depends on the person depends on their personality type so. Normally I just come out and say it straight away or in, you know, the first five minutes of a conversation because it's just easier to do. I'm, I'm the type of person, all cards out on the table. That's good. Because, I mean, I didn't used to be like that, but because then, you know, all cards out, they know exactly what they're dealing with. How, how would you approach meeting someone for the first time? Or in a social situation, how would you approach the such situation because they can be very awkward especially when drinks are involved holding drinks all of this you know yes social social etiquette i i
1: i I completely understand what you're saying well for me it's very simple if they can't adapt and i realize it's somebody who i don't want to be around because if, if they define you by by your ability or inability to do something, then it shows that they see the, see the world through a very narrow lens.
0: And a world this big, you can't have a narrow lens. No,
1: it's important to have a multitude of different experiences and only then are you truly able to be considered adaptable. I agree. If you have a narrow set of experiences... By default, you're going to be uncomfortable when put in certain situations. You're going to quite have to react. And in some way, I, I can understand others. I think it's in everybody's power to make themselves aware.
0: Do you think, so even if they have the narrowest mind possible, as long as they are open to finding out, to exploring exactly, so basically to open their yes. mind and to see
1: being inquisitive
0: as long as they're even if they have a have a narrow mind as long as they're inquisitive and want to learn then that's good then you know, for me that's 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 all i need that's all i want
1: because that's that's how we grow as a society it's it, it's not just limited to disability well it's not limited to anything i think
0: it's as long as you have an inquisitive mind you can try your anything. hand at anything i think yeah i mean this brings me on to the point that do you think having your disability has Given you some positive advantages compared to if you've th- never had a disability. I mean, I know you can never compare, you can never make that comparison because it's, it will never happen.
1: I would say it has, because as a result of that, I've seen the world through different lenses. But that's because I spent a certain amount of time within a, an environment. A certain environment, a disabled environment, so my, as, a, as, I, as I like to describe it, as a separate world. And then when I left the school, I i didn't associate myself with people who were disabled for many, many, many years. And I had a, a problem with my own sense of identity. I didn't know where I fitted, because as I saw it, I, I left this world that I was so familiar with. And then I suddenly... Didn't know quite where I fitted. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Do
0: you think it was a good idea to cut yourself completely off from your previous world, from the from yes. the disability world at yes, that it time? Was,
1: because I had to immerse myself as I saw it. I, I I had two options. Either I could have stayed with people who were disabled or I could immerse myself in with people who are not disabled. And I know that's really, could be seen as cr- controversial because we're trying to break down these barriers and trying to strike equality. But looking back, I don't think I would have done it differently. Now it's become really useful because I'm able to see the things through multiple different lenses and therefore I've become more adaptable, I wouldn't change things. I certainly will not say it's easy, it was easy, it was very difficult.
0: It does sound tremendously but, difficult. But for me, that was,
1: that was my coping strategy. Oh, okay.
0: Do you think if you did stay in the, let's say, the disability sphere at that time, you would have never have left it later on?
1: Correct. I think I would have seen the world very differently.
0: I mean, that, t- that brings me to a point that I think any time someone has a disability, you have to so-called take the leap to, to make the most, to reach what, whatever you want to reach in life to reach your goals you have to take the leap whatever the the leap is metaphorical obviously
1: you have to make yourself vulnerable
0: the leap is whatever you want the leap to be in order to make yourself vulnerable the leap vulnerability two words for the same thing i think if everyone has to go through this leap or vulnerability phase i mean i think i've gone through it you've gone through i think i know a few other people who have gone through it do you know any? tips and tricks that can help people who might be struggling to go, to go through the, through the phase or even struggling to start the phase or get Uh, into it. I
1: would say that it's important to be strong-minded. Don't let anybody try and put you down because everybody in the world will have opinions on what you can and can't do. At the end of the day. We are the ones who are in charge. we create our own destiny
0: so grab your own destiny by the horns
1: yes that that's that's one way of phrasing it but I, I say that, but I equally I understand that it may not be it may not be easy to do
0: yeah I mean, I remember I think going my sort of vulnerability taking the leap phase happened I think at the end of university for me, I used to be very shy like. I couldn't talk to anyone. I would run away. That's how shy I was. And now I'm hosting a podcast. So, I mean, you can see how things have changed. Yes. But for the good. But yeah, taking that leap, especially with during that time of there's so much social anxiety, there's so much pressure on, you know, you to do well in your exams, to do all of these things. If I didn't have the support group of my friends to like, I'd say push me over the cliff.
1: I mean, I, I think for me personally, what allowed me to excel was the people who I looked up to outside of school who gave me a different perspective. I'm, I, I do not really want to name them, but they made me question things and realise actually you can achieve certain things. I think, I, I think without them, I wouldn't consider, wouldn't consider going to university. Because at the school I was in, its focus was more on developing people's life skills, not so much on academic.
0: Do you think that's a code word for developing survivability yes. in life? Just, you know, surviving, yes. not succeeding, just just surviving. Everybody
1: is different. It's very difficult to...
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no one size all answer. No. But I do agree that You know, you have to put your mind to it. You have to, you know, have mental strength because I mean, you run in marathons now. Half marathons, but yes. Half marathon, well, half marathon. But I mean, what I'm saying is back before you took the leap, do you think you'd ever see yourself doing a half marathon?
1: No, no. I I paid for it because the thing is I have a chronic condition. Cerebral palsy is a chronic condition. And what people don't realise if they don't have a chronic condition, is that you wake up in the morning and you have a certain amount of energy, and therefore you have to be very selective with what you do, because when you run out of energy, you crash. So another way of explaining this would be the spoon theory. This term was coined by a lady who was trying to explain to her best friend what it was like to have polio, I believe. So you wake up in the morning and, for example, you, you start with 12 spoons. You could get dressed. That may take half a spoon away. So you've got 11 and a half spoons left for the whole day. So every single thing that you do takes up a certain amount of, takes a certain amount of energy. Yes, it, it, it's, it's difficult. Going back to what you were saying when I was doing half marathons, I, I paid for it a lot. I mean, people, people ask me, how did I do it? And I said, well, you know, I have to put everything else on hold. So, my career, I put it on hold for three years. Because when I started in 2017, I had two options. Either I was to try and stay active, which would allow me to maintain my mobility, or I don't and I become more inactive and then end up potentially in a wheelchair. So, there was no real choice in the matter i had to keep myself active but that came at a cost
0: it came at a cost but of yes you had to put my life on hold career on hold and all these yeah. things you had to put your life on hold but now after you've done the half marathons you have more spoons
1: only only if you continue to stay active
0: in the long term yeah if you continue you end up with yeah it costs more spoons to start but in the long term You end up with more spoons at the beginning of the day. I mean, I know this because I play cricket, I do calisthenics. All of this I do, it all stems from improving my stability day and movement, all of these things. But using your analogy, at the end of the day, I mean, at the beginning of the day, I have a lot of spoons now. And I mean, the big thing is I enjoy it. I suppose without, if you don't enjoy it, I mean, It's hard if you don't enjoy it.
1: You have to enjoy everything you do.
0: You have to find enjoyment in it. When was the time, because you don't start out enjoying it, in my instances, but when was the time you started enjoying your half marathons or training for your half marathons?
1: When I started to see progress.
0: It's a big word, progress. When you start seeing progress... When I
1: started to become physically fit and my body started to physically change as well.
0: I don't think there's any motivation better than that. You know, when when you physically see the results and you feel the results as well, that's the time, especially for a disabled person. At that point, there was no better motivation to continue.
1: I, I completely agree with you. And I remember one conversation I had at a doctor's appointment. And this particular doctor was so surprised because there was not a lot of muscle tone difference between the left side of my body and the right side of my body at that time. And that's because I was doing so much sport. I was working both sides of my body. Whereas before, there was a significant disparity. So it does prove that if you want to do something you can do it can it's just in the mind
0: it's all in the mind it's also this is one thing that i recommend anyone with disabilities to do is physio for me i started physio very young i still do physio but i mean the doctors say there is no proof that physio made you better but You know, there's something inside me that tells me if I didn't do physio, I could probably be in a wheelchair. Like they said, when I was, they told my mum when I was born, he, you know, might not be able to talk, might be in a wheelchair, you know, worst case scenario stuff. And here I am standing, running, playing cricket, doing calisthenics, all of this stuff. And I'm not going to solely congratulate physio for it, but I think it is a big part that is overlooked by the majority of people. But at the end of the day, it's not even physio. It's just
1: movement. It's exercise. Just keep it
0: active. You either lose them or use them. What are you looking forward to in the future?
1: I'm looking forward to continuing to make an impact on people's lives. I, I feel very happy with the organization that I'm volunteering with, volunteering with at SCOPE. I really want to use my life experience to help others because I think it's a real privilege to have those different experiences because you're able to see the world through many different lenses and through the fault of no one, others may not have the chance to. So I really want to try and help others to to show them that there is another way of doing things they can uh, reach their full potential they just if people need guidance they need guidance
0: so trying to yeah so basically you want to help people reach yeah. their full potential no it's a good it's, it's a good thing to do in the future i'm i am trying to do something similar but i won't talk about that now so we'll finish off with one last thing if you say it could say one sentence to the world what would you say
1: never give up And always go for your dreams. Don't let anything get in the way. And that, I think, is
0: a great way to finish. So thank you, Hugo, for recording this episode today on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I hope you did you enjoy your time? Very much
1: so. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So that was Hugo Strickland talking about life with cerebral palsy, his childhood, disability awareness, and his thoughts on the working world. If you want to know more, go into the show notes and you'll find his information. But unfortunately, that's all for now. But we're already looking forward to the next episode. So see you there.